0: Welcome to 11FS Fintech Insider. My name is David Breer. In today's bonus episode, I am absolutely delighted to be joined by an absolute legend of the industry, Mr. Ashok Vaswamy, who is the president at Pagaya, who I have had a number of different conversations with in the past, and they've all been incredibly enlightening. This one has a, a, a tinge of sadness from my perspective, Ashok, that you're you're not sat in the UK. I, I always got a, a real sense of, uh, a, of security knowing you were here with those moving the industry forward, but uh, welcome to the show. How are you doing?
1: Hey, I'm doing great, David. Lovely to be with you. I'm in sunny New York. Uh, it's cold day, but it's sunny and hey i get to london quite often london is still
0: home very good and very precious very good you you'll be back and and, and on today's show we we're, we're going to be talking a little bit about ashrock's career uh take a a, a bit of a, a mini deep dive into to really what he thinks the the future of the financial services industry might be and, and what it might hold so maybe let's just dive in i mean ashrock for for anybody is unfamiliar with you give us the, the the one minute pitch what's the what's your background because you you've had some fantastic roles for for some fantastic organizations in the industry?
1: Yeah. So, uh, David, I've spent about 35 years of my life in consumer, corporate, commercial payments kind of uh, roles. 20 years at Citigroup, 12 years at Barclays, and three years in between with a private equity firm focused on consumer services. I think the highlight is I've been really, really lucky that I've been able to, spend time in countries all over the world Uh, you name the geography and i've kind of been there which has been an incredible uh, privilege and i've seen so much change in the financial services industry you know uh, i get excited by what is still to come uh, and you know hopefully bring my experience to uh, how how firms can navigate the change
0: very good, and we'll get into that in a, in a second. In terms of the things that you've seen and the the, the change that uh, c- can come, but tell us a little bit more about your your current role. And as you say, you're you're sat in New York now uh, with a with a new role at a new organization. Tell tell us a little bit more about what they do.
1: Oh, so Pagaya is a very interesting company. Think of it as bringing together a bunch of partners call it banks, fintechs, neobanks, and institutional investors and Pagaya sits on the top. Pagaya's real claim to fame is the artificial intelligence models that they've built, which allows these partner companies to make better decisions. One such use case is credit origination. So we are able to go help them approve many more customers and then transfer the economics to institutional investors, right? And as long as the return on that kind of thing is exceeding the uh, investor expectations, that flywheel Kind of goes really, really nicely. So it's a real classic case of where technology is breaking down the silos of traditional, uh, the way traditionally banks are organised between consumer and the investment bank. This is really technology helping connect consumer to capital
0: markets. Fantastic. I mean, that's that's a problem, no doubt, in your experience at City and at, at Barclays. You've you've felt firsthand as well.
1: Yes, David, that's exactly, you know, we'll talk, I'm sure we'll talk a lot about it. But one of the things that technology has done is actually completely disrupted the silos within which banks and financial institutions serve their customers. They are still organized by corporate and consumer, right? And that technology is kind of breaking down very quickly. And we can get into many such examples. I think FX, David, is the best example, right? You know, what is called an option in the investment bank is just an opportunity for a consumer to decide when to buy the euro to go on holiday, right? But yet no financial institution really delivers it as such to a consumer.
0: Yeah. So, so I, I guess talking a little bit more about your your career then, and we'll we'll sort of pick off the bits in, in that as as we we sort of go through. I mean, as you said, you you've seen. A lot of change, you know. You've seen a lot of shifts in different parts of businesses or different parts of a bank when you've been there, or you know, the industry more broadly in terms of the changes that we're seeing now with, you know, with fintech and with the, you know, the big banks really stepping up to the to to the plate now when it comes to change. What would you really sort of see as the highlight there? Because there's there's so many, and I know, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a funny one. This because me mean, you've talked privately on on these things a, n- a number of times, but seeing seeing that change is just an amazing thing in its sense
1: so david it's it's actually quite incredible right you think about first you think about it and say how customer experiences have changed right customer expectations and customer experiences right obviously the launch of the internet and stuff like that was a big move but i think the 2008 when apple switched and you know tried and completely changed the ecosystem with the apps the way mobile banking has kind of taken off is an incredible thing, right? So customer expectations, the change has been incredible, right? I think the regulatory environment has changed, again, quite quite massively, right? 2012, the launch, you know, the the kind of uh, FCA and the PRA in the UK, and then many other countries taking not identical, but similar things like the CFPB, you know, being established in the US and many other such variances in different parts of the world. Geopolitical, my God, David, (laughs) (laughs) that that ever-changing thing has been really, really quite crazy. And then the economic cycles, David, right? In the 70s and 80s, we saw interest rates go through the roof. We saw a decade of zero interest rates, and we were all wondering and scratching our heads, would we ever get out of that situation? And suddenly, suddenly in the last... Three to six months, we've seen, you know, two-year treasury yields go up by like four hundred basis points, completely changing business models quite dramatically. So, wow, the change, you know, any dimension, David, uh, has been has been incredible.
0: Yeah, it's it's a fascinating thing, as you say. There's a there's a whole generation who didn't really understand what interest rates really were because of uh, you know such a, a, a surprise. Significant period of suppressed rates in that in that sense, but uh, so uh, I guess on on that on that note, I mean it, it's been a uh, it's been an interesting uh, movie to watch in terms of that change. But but were you were always sort of fascinated by financial services, or was there a, you know did, uh, did Ashok when you were a child did you have a a different aspiration in terms of what you wanted to be other than financial services?
1: So David, you know when I was growing up. My uncle had a, I was growing up in Bombay. My uncle had a shop in the fanciest uh, five-star hotel, the Oberoi, right? And every summer holiday and winter holiday, I was told to go and work in that shop, right? So morning to evening, I would go and we would sell material and we would do tailoring and stuff like that. And uh, that was the only hotel where all the airline crew and all used to stay. So you had these young you know, really fun loving kind of people. And then I would go in the evening, I'd pass the lobby and I'd see the hotel staff and, you know, there was always a party on in the evening. And I said to myself, man, when I grow up, I want to get into hospitality. I want to be the general manager of a hotel, right? And I don't know when it changed or the opportunity didn't come along, but I dream about it even today, that Damn. had I got into hospitality, what would life have been? Well, so there's still chance, you know. There's still
0: time. You're like uh, there's a there's a, a boutique hotel in the future. i uh, I can imagine. So, so what? How did that change then? And, and and obviously, um, you know, my my sort of experience with you was was at Barclays, and actually, so but you said before that you were at City for a for a long period of time. H- how did you get into Citibank?
1: So, David, that's a very interesting story. Uh, uh, you know, in the in the days when I was growing up and I was studying, the you know, you didn't have so many choices. Basically, I was in India, and you either chose art, science, or commerce, right? And I said to myself, hey, there's no way I can do arts and science, so I'm going to do commerce. And commerce was something I really enjoyed. I did really, really, I did exceptionally well, right? And uh, I went on to do my chartered accountancy. I finished my chartered accountancy, and I was actually feeling quite dejected. Because everything about it was post-mortem, right? Whether it's audit, whether it's tax, it's all post-mortem activity. It's not building stuff. And I thought it'd be so much more fun to build stuff rather than do post-mortem activity. I didn't have the means to, again, go out and do an MBA, right? So I decided to do an MBA on the job, and therefore I joined the nascent consulting world in India. And the nation consulting world in India was actually quite fascinating. It was a lot of World Bank projects, which we were kind of helping them modernize management systems. My last client was Citibank. Citibank came to Air Ferguson and said, we are looking for a CFO, Uh, can you help us? And I was working on that thing and I went across literally the next building, David. We were in Indian Express, they were in Air India building. I went across to present the kind of candidates that we had found for the CFO. Before I could come back, the country head of Citibank had called the uh, the country head of Ferguson and said, not for the CFO job, but we really like this guy. We wanna hire him. Wow. Right? And that started the journey on financial services. And Citibank Consumer was just starting off at that point in time. It was crazy, but it was the best fun time I think I've had in my career.
0: That's amazing. So you you got to be really careful what meetings you go to, right? You end up uh, you end up working at an organization for uh, for a little while off the back of that one.
1: That's exactly what happened at Pagaya, right? Barclays talked to me about Pagaya, my team in Delaware. I met the CEO, and the CEO said, "Hey, when are you going to come and join us?" And I said,
0: "Man, why not?" <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's interesting. Like you say, if you if you can sort of think about those opportunities and say, "Why not?" Right? Then it's a it's a thing that uh, you can work out. But uh, I mean, at Barclays as well. And as you say, you you sort of spent um, eleven years there in terms of your your career, um, seeing different changes across the the organisation. And as you say, from a you know financial crisis two thousand and eight to to hear, you know, there's a lot of change in that period of time with different, you know, different CEOs, different focuses, different uh, problems that you faced, you know, you faced into for, for customers. Um, talk to us a little bit about that, you know, because as you said earlier on, the the industry is changing so quickly, no no year is the same in terms of the problems that you're really solving, even though the banking industry is is relatively
1: static. So David, it's an incredible, It's an. I mean, I look back and it's kind of incredible. I joined Barclays early 2010, very early 2010. We just got across the financial crisis and what became very evident very soon was that we were short on capital. And you would remember that Barclays did the largest ever rights issue, the largest ever rights issue ever done, four billion pounds, right? Over the ten-year journey, we went from being short of capital, undercapitalized, being forced to do a rights issue, right to at the end of the twelve years, uh, literally we did stock buyback. Okay, along the way, along the way, just one number: we paid out about ten billion pounds in PPI claims. We settled LIBOR. We settled the Qatari uh, financial kind of thing, right? I can go on and on and on. So the amount of legal and regulatory stuff that we pushed aside, cleaned up, cleared, you know, got our way out of uh, was incredible. So that just that journey on how you build a bank and make it like, you know, uh, really, really strong from a capital point of view, why that was so important was there. There was also a lot of load, David, because, you know, you think of it, you're joining a 325-year-old institution, right? I mean, you're joining a 325-year-old institution. One of the things I really drove and I tried to drive very hard at Barclays is this core value of stewardship, right? Because, look, when you've got something which is 325 years old, you don't want it going wrong on your watch. You want to leave it in a much better place so that somebody else can come Take it on and take it to better things. And therefore, making sure that you're making the organization fit and appropriate for the time coming was the other thing which really, really drove me and in many ways kept me awake at night. Right. And that's why that relentless focus on execution, digitization, meeting customer needs. Then, 2012, we had a huge change in the regulatory environment, the PRA, FCA. If that was you know, small, we built the largest ever bank. We created the Ring Fence Bank. David, the regulators, of course, required us to build a Ring Fence Bank, but extricating a bank from within a bank and trying and creating it as a standalone bank, changing sort codes, establishing its own capital, building its own board and, you know, doing all of that while still keeping the running business running was an incredible thing. And in all of this, David, I went through six, I promise you, I went through six group CEOs. Wow. Right? And therefore, trying to maintain the focus and maintain, and by the way, most of the uh, six group CEOs, uh, most of them were investment bankers, which makes sense for a company like Barclays, but trying to convince them on what the retail model is and how it should work, right? Luckily, I was lucky that they all kind of eventually got it And they were eventually supportive, but you can just see the the number of kind of things that we had to do. And you know, everybody talks about the transformation of the business, but look at the other kind of things that you have to kind of deal with as you kind of get there.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? The the sort of. uh... The things along the sides of the road as you're as you're sort of going down that road in in that sense, and every every different CEO has a a different agenda or a different strategy, and you know those ripples of that out in that in that way. I, I think one thing that um, you know, we'll get back to financial services in a second. But one thing that I've always seen very consistent from you and actually, you know, from the outpouring of uh, of, of love, really, the emotion that from people when you were leaving Barclays was, you know, not just what you've done, but the way you went about it. Um, your point on stewardship in terms of the role and the the importance of that role, you seem to have a real sense of, of um, doing business in the right way, which, you know, whether it was... Khan on LinkedIn or Matt Hammerstein or you know all of the people in Barclays genuinely feel like they miss you which is a that's a that's a nice feeling in that sense right
1: So David I'm you cannot believe how deeply humbled I felt I completely completely uh, I'm a believer that no one person can make all these kind of changes happen I was blessed to have a fantastic team I was blessed that I could count the team, not only as a team of professionals, but a lot of them have become like my closest friends. So whether I'm in New York, whether I'm in London, whether I'm elsewhere, whether they're elsewhere, we stay in touch. Uh, You know, we meet often, we laugh about the good times, and uh, all of us just had an incredible run. What can one say? You know, I feel truly, truly, truly blessed.
0: What would be the advice for... Uh, you know banking executives to to create those types of relationships because i mean that's not easy but and, and a lot of people you know i i've never heard you raise your voice in a in a in a big sense i'm sure you must have a a temper at some point everybody does but 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 actually the the idea of maintaining relationships all the way through in that way in that career and in all of the different people that you've touched in that how, how do you go about doing that what's the what's the consistency you bring to it what's the what's the values
1: so David let me first start by saying i'm very lucky uh you know it kind of worked out really nicely i'm mean, enough i'm sure i've even pissed off a lot of people along the <laughs> way uh, so I don't want to claim to be some kind of guru uh, but having said that, you know, uh, I think if you keep some kind of principles in mind, right? The customer is a North Star, right? The customer is the North Star, right? Constantly focusing on that. And two, you know, I, sincere, I sincerely believe that everyone, you, David, me, everyone, has a whole bunch of strengths, whole bunch of weaknesses, right? It's really me as maybe the hiring manager to find opportunities that allow you to bring your biggest strengths to the table. And if I'm not being able to do that, it is equally my fault as it is yours, right? And ultimately, it's all about people, right? I mean, you are a person, you're a human being, right? So even if the role is not working out or whatever, that doesn't, that, maybe that's not for you. That doesn't make you a bad person or a good person. That's not what defines how a person is. So treating people with dignity, treating people with a lot of respect, laying down and saying, look, this is the outcome. This outcome is not the desired outcome, right? You know that. I know that. Now let's try and find a way that works for you and works for the business. And I think if you do it respectfully, right, it works. Now, like I said, David, right up front, not everything works as beautifully as that, but that's core. I feel, I feel, responsible for my team I feel responsible for my team in any assignment that I've had I think you know when I am when I'm defining the strategy when I'm doing stuff they are investing in me right and therefore I owe it to them I owe it to them to give the best I can whatever that best is maybe maybe it's not enough but it is my duty to give the best that I can to
0: them yeah and that's that's all that really people can ask for isn't it they can't always ask for perfection but they they can ask for your best in that way and it that for me is a again it's the it's the the attitude that people bring into those things I, I guess back to back to your last role at, at Barclays and maybe this speaks a little bit to the to the level of change that you've you've overseen I mean your last role was was chief digital officer and I mean does that does that point to the scale of change that you, you've really seen? I mean, this is a role that probably didn't exist when you joined Barclays in the first instance, but but points to the scale of transformation that Barclays was was aiming at, is aiming at in terms of what digital really sort of means to the organization. Is that do you think that's a not just a sign of intent, but the the sign of the scale of change that you've overseen?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think there is a clear recognition at Barclays and elsewhere. That uh, you know, technology uh, and the way it's disrupting the financial services industry is not uh, restricted to any one particular area, right? And having done it in UK consumer, then having done it in consumer broadly, having done it in the corporate bank, you know, I tell you the challenges are pretty much identical in uh, in the investment bank, right? What is very interesting, David, is if you, if you just picture yourself, if you're sitting on a, on a beach, okay, just say you're sitting on an empty beach, right? On the one end of the beach is, you know, uh, a checking account, uh, you know, vanilla checking account uh, kind of thing. And right on the other end of the beach is, you know, fancy derivatives or m and advisory or whatever. And the sea is coming in. The pace at which the sea is coming in could be different, but the sea is coming in, right? And so in an area like payments, the sea is coming in fast and furious and deep into the beach, okay? In a place like, I don't know, MA advisory, maybe the pace is not as much as payments, but it's still kind of coming in. And therefore when you sit across that beach, it's very important to see how that thing is happening and you'll, you'll just notice it's happening everywhere. And mm-hmm. that connectivity, which we talked about a little earlier, David, becomes so so, so important. It leads to incredible amount of opportunity, right, and I think we can get get ahead of that opportunity and really deliver power for our customers
0: yeah it's amazing to to take that metaphor on i've uh, I've sat on many a lovely beaches where uh, you know the one minute the waves are lapping at your feet and the next minute they've got in behind you and, uh, and so and and how how do you see that that shaping out because obviously from an industry perspective. I mean, we, we you've seen and we've seen and the industry more broadly seen a a, a lot of change. But I mean, our, our sayings were only one percent finished, right? The, it feels like there's just so much more to go in 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 front of us for for what that means for customers, what that means for organizations. So, uh, where do you see us sort of getting to in the the
1: future? So, David, uh, obviously, been spending uh, time thinking about uh, thinking about this, right? I think there are two or three. Uh, big themes that we can talk about, right? My The first theme is uh, really about whichever way you cut it, money, finance, is really a means to an end rather than an end in itself, right? And that is true for the everyday consumer. It is true for the corporate treasurer. It is true for the school governor, right? Because you want to use money in a way, right, to achieve a particular end. And therefore, if you think about what has happened over the last 20 years or whatever, the speed at which financial services needs to be delivered has to change quite dramatically, right? I'm, I'm not saying that, the, uh, you know, advice will disappear. In fact, I think advice will become even more important. But once you get the advice, the speed at which things are happening uh, uh, is kind of increasing quite dramatically. Very interestingly, There is quite a shift. There's quite a shift between the point of delivery of financial services. So you think 25 years ago, it was the branch, then it became the phone, then it became the internet, then it became mobile, right? Today, it is delivered at maybe the retailer. So that's a consumer one, right? You think about the big hedge funds and stuff like that. It's a lot of data that banks kind of provide, but the point of contact where it kind of delivers is at the Citadel office, the Apollo office, uh, and stuff like that. And they are making decisions and actually doing, they will interact or they will choose to give their business to those financial institutions that can execute faster and better. Better means best price execution, balance sheet, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So whether it's consumer or whether it is the investment banking side of the house, speed, and where financial services is delivered is changing, changing quite rapidly, right? Uh, so, okay. So, speed can also be things like, like settlement times. I don't know how long we've lived with T plus two, right? And I sit on the London Stock Exchange Group board, and you know, obviously, you know, uh, on the one hand, uh, the LSEG does some phenomenal stuff on data, right, and the acquisition. They're made of definitive and how we can use data to do better businesses. But a lot of the core of their business is all about settlement, right? Whether that settlement of, of uh, equities, whether that settlement of you know swaps, all a bunch of settlements. That whole thing is based on T plus two, right? And you wonder why in this day and age also there's T plus two, right? And you know so that's true of FX. Why does it take you know 24 hours for money to move from London to New York? So this whole notion of speed is a very interesting one. And there are a whole bunch of technologies that are actually driving the speed kind of element, right? The second notion is what we briefly talked about is this breakdown of silos, right? And I go back, you know, I go back to, you know, look at Pagaya, Pagaya is breaking down of consumer debt to capital markets, right? Or FX, right? Uh, you know, the investment bank is selling options every single day, God knows how much, and a consumer who could be given an option to buy euros in March or in June, when the consumer goes on holiday, what a great, uh, it could be such a great benefit uh, to a consumer. And therefore the breaking down of these traditional silos between uh, corporate consumer, I think is the second kind of dimension that's happening. The third dimension is, it is a misnomer to think that people don't want advice. Even the youngsters, even the people who are just out of school, college, and stuff like that, they want advice, they need to understand, they, need, they may want it in a different way, right? They may consume material differently, but they still need the advice, right? And therefore advice as an element is going to become even more fundamental. But how we cater to that advice, how it is packaged, how it is delivered, right, is critical. Fundamentally, fundamentally banks and financial institutions are all about risk management. I used to say we are about technology, we are not about technology. We are risk managers at heart. Yeah. Right? And then helping a customer buy a mortgage, that is a risk trade. Right. And you know, you can see it in the UK today, right? Had you done a five-year fix versus a two-year fix, it's a massive risk trade. Definitely. Right? So at the core of it, we are risk managers. And how we Package that, deliver that, help customers understand that is what the goal is. So I think those are the three big, big trends, uh, David, which I see, yeah. uh, which I think will go forward. Uh,
0: it's it's interesting, and and we can we could spend a few hours, I think, unpacking each of those because I mean, particularly on that last one around advice, it's a uh, you know self-service in the digital form is is not really what everybody wants from a consumer perspective, and actually. People really want help. You know, they want advice. They want guidance in that sense, in terms of really where they can get to. But, uh, but we don't have the time, I'm afraid. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to wrap up pretty soon. We'll, we're gonna definitely bring you back to to unpack some more of those things. We we always like to leave off a little bit with. Uh, we're all given great advice uh, in in a sort of our, our careers. But usually there's two or three things that always sort of stick in your brain. Mine are definitely from uh, definitely from my mum in terms of the advice she was sort of used to give me in terms of uh, how to get up and how to keep going in that sense. But is there ever any advice you've been given in your career that that really sticks with you to to today? I imagine there's a lot of lessons you learned in that shop as well uh, that we can probably unpack at another point. But uh, uh, anything that really sticks with you?
1: So, uh, David, that's, that's an uh, awesome question. And, you know, talk about mother's wisdom because the kind of advice which is, and which is very, very relevant at my age and stage in life is not very different from what your mother is telling you. And that is, you know, I've been told you got to find a way to stay relevant. And the only way to stay relevant is to keep learning, right? Gone are the days when you could go to school for 20 years and learn enough to keep you going for 50 years. That model is gone, broken, finished. Yeah, You have to stay relevant every single day. And David, like the, the you know this Fin side Fin Insider kind of uh, podcast, which you do, is a great way of staying relevant, right? Uh, and how do you continue to stay relevant? Because that's the only thing that will stop you from stagnating, and ultimate death. So therefore, it's really, really important stay relevant.
0: Definitely. Keep learning. Love learning. That's definitely a good lesson to to go with. But on that note, I'm afraid we are going to have to wrap up the show today. So, Ashok, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Where can people learn a little bit more about you and uh, and your new role as well? Uh, uh, I'm sure a lot of people will be wanting to keep tabs. LinkedIn is a great place, David. Very, very good. Uh, for me as well, the, it is always LinkedIn. Uh, make sure you follow 11FS on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, wherever you can find us. All the cool stuff is always there. And if you enjoy the show, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and do subscribe to the 11FS YouTube channel. where We can always catch up on previous episodes of Spotlight and our Explores videos as well. Thank you so much, Ashok. been an absolute pleasure. You're an absolute legend. We'll have you back soon. Thank you very much. Goodbye.